Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Central DuPage Hospital. Good morning, my friend, and how are you doing today? Dean, I'm doing great. I mean, seriously, 70 degrees and sunny out, and it's a weekend, and perfect pretty day. lucky. It's a perfect day. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Uh, it's about uh, three years or so since we started doing this segment at the beginning of the COVID uh, explosion, uh, all the tragedy, uh, especially before the vaccination. And here we, now, here we are now with the COVID emergency authorization ending in just four days. How about that? The, the end is finally coming here, according to the CDC. Yeah, Dean, you know, the end is coming as far as the emergency authorization, but we all have to understand the end isn't, you know, it's not like COVID is gone, but certainly we are in a much better place. Matter of fact, the state of Illinois, every single county in the state of Illinois right now has a low transmission rate. So very encouraging, very appropriate that we're ending the emergency authorization, but it does impact all of us. So everyone needs to understand that as well. So what does this mean exactly to the average person that, the authorization will be ending on May 11th. Well, I think we all kind of got used to everything being, hate to say, free, because essentially as taxpayers we pay for it, but everything was free, right? Testing was free. You could go in and get tested. You can get free tests in the mail. The treatment was free, whether you got remdesivir, whether you got monoclonal antibodies, or whether you got Paxlovid. All of that goes away. So, the government has some bit of a stockpile, but once that stockpile is gone, we go back to what's your insurance, what's your insurance going to cover, how much are they going to charge you for your next COVID vaccine. So certainly a lot of the things we got used to will be gone as soon as that stockpile is gone. Do you think it's a good idea for people to uh, go and get, uh, you know, testing kits and, you know, things bef- while it's still no charge? Yeah, Absolutely. You know, what I would definitely do is if you're up for a booster, if you do for a booster, those over the the age of 60 can get a second booster. If you're immunocompromised, you can get that second booster. If you never got the booster in the fall, get it, because, you know, this will come back probably with another surge here in this late summer or fall. So certainly you want to do that. And, yes, absolutely, covidtest.gov. You can go and you can still order free tests. They'll send you four per individual So certainly go on. They ship them for free. The tests are free. Always good to have those in your back pocket. How many times have you gone to a convenient care center to be tested for flu or be tested for strep? So certainly having that as a free test would be very key. Yeah. Um, You know, the uh, uh, already uh, people are still asking uh, questions uh, every single week here for the last three years. Uh, Here is one from the 630 area code that came in. Uh, right when the show started, someone wanted to be first in line today that says, had COVID last July, a booster in October, COVID again in December. I'm 72 years old. I mask everywhere and wash my hands. I'm leaving for England in 10 days. Do you recommend I get another booster? Absolutely. So they got their booster in October. So that's the first booster in that age group was very appropriate. But now that second booster has been approved say, well, wait, she just said that the individual just said they were sick in December. Certainly you had natural immunity that's going to protect you for three, four, five months, but now that's going to be waning as well. 
So certainly right now would be a great opportunity, especially going to do international travel, that getting that second booster because of your age of 70 and your timing would certainly be very appropriate. And I would strongly recommend it. How does somebody who masks everywhere and washes their hands constantly get COVID twice? Yeah, I think it's just showed us now that the the strains of COVID as we have are sneakier and sneakier. So they spread more easily. So certainly, although you're wearing your mask at all times, or you think you are, you're still touching your face. You're still out and around. And we have to remember that the masks that we are wearing right now are not 100%, right? Even if you're wearing an N95, it's preventing you from 95%. But this is a very tiny little virus and can get through the the cloth and the paper masks that we wear. So although it is somewhat of a protection, it is not 100% foolproof. And uh, as you have told us so many times, wearing your masks protects others from you. It doesn't prevent, it doesn't protect you as much uh, from germs coming into you. It protects germs coming out of you, right? Correct, correct. Because when you cough, when you sneeze, when you're breathing, that's going to capture it right at the site and slow down that dispersion. Everybody remembers at the beginning of COVID, we said, oh my gosh, COVID can travel 12 feet. Well, it can travel 12 feet if you cough, if you sneeze. But if you have a mask, that slows it down immediately. It closes that factor down to what? Remember what we always said? Stay three feet, stay six feet. It closes down that opportunity when you're wearing a mask for that virus to go any further. Let's go to uh, Chris at 312-981-7200. Good morning. You're on WGN. Um, Yes, hi. Um, Thank you for your show. It's great. And uh, we also love Dr. Most. we were exposed, uh, we had a family um, breakfast one week ago. Uh, my mom ended up with COVID on Monday. My son that lives in my home on Wednesday. And I have different symptoms. I have more of like body ache. They have sinuses. But my question is, um, I my, my legs started to hurt a little bit about three days ago. I tested negative, negative twice. Um, what I was wondering is... Um, when does it start that I could take um, the Paxlovid? Is that only when you test positive, or am I in a window now if I still test negative? Or I wasn't sure about um, the window of the Paxlovid. Um, I'm yeah, testing. I, I haven't tested today, and my symptoms okay. are a little bit more. But I was wondering, yeah. when does that window start? I know you only have five days. Yeah, it's a, it's. Chris, it's a question that many people are asking, and they're asking it in many different ways. In other words, I was exposed. Can I take Paxlovid to protect myself, as we do with some of the antiviral medications? Unfortunately, the answer to that is no. The only way you can get a Paxlovid is if you have a positive test. So it's really and that's what start your window. Uh, I'm apologizing for butting in, but that would start your five-day window with the positive test. Correct. Once you test positive, you have five days for that to really to have its most effective. Now, some people go beyond that five days just because of the individual, how old they are, what's going on. But certainly you want to start that within five days, just like the antivirals. So continuing to test would be appropriate. The leg pain is a very, it's not a very common um, side effect or a, a symptom of COVID. So certainly look for other reasons for that dehydration, exercise, stretching, 
So really kind of be more concerned about other things than COVID when you have leg pain that's worsening. Okay, then it turned into a body ache but um, today. Uh, but thank you very much. I really appreciate it and love the show. Yeah, thank you for calling, and good luck to you and all your family. A quick break and more questions for Dr. Kevin Most at 312-981-7200. Dr. Kevin Most, as always with us on Sunday morning here, answering your questions at 312-981-7200. Kate, you're on with Dr. Most on WGN. Good morning. You guys are just wonderful, Dr. Most. God bless you. Um, I have a question. My nephew, of course I do, I, my nephew and his wife have kept their two little boys in masks for now, you know, just over three and a half years. Since they were, let's see, they're six and seven now, so it's like three and a half to young, young, young. They're still in masks. I mean, at school outside in their house it's kind of nutty but that's my opinion is this healthy to keep them in masks so consistently for such a length of time okay if if they're young healthy kids then many people are going to say no many people are going to say hey we saw this right look what happened in december really uh late november december january we saw this big increase in rsv we saw this big increase in influenza we saw this big increase in metanumovirus so we saw all these individuals who hadn't been exposed to anything now get exposed and have much worse illnesses So individuals, Mm -hmm. especially young children, build their immune system. When they're neonates, when they're very young, absolutely, we need to protect them. They can't make antibodies yet. But as they grow, they're going to get exposed to a lot. They're going to get exposed through school. They're going to get exposed through playing Mm -hmm. with their friends. Their immune system has to grow. So certainly Mm -hmm. during COVID to protect them because we didn't have a lot of treatment options for young kids was very appropriate. My personal Mm -hmm. opinion, again, I don't know if they're immunocompromised, if there's anything that the parents are concerned about. No, they're perfectly healthy and strong. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. My personal is, you know, let them get out. Let their immune systems grow right now. COVID numbers are so low. What are we trying to protect the kids from? Influenza numbers are low. COVID numbers are low. So what are we trying to protect the kids from? Getting those routine viruses that they're going to get exposed to is very important for their immune system. But again, that's my personal opinion. They should have that discussion with their pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So bottom line, their immunization, I'm sorry, their immuno, their immune system has to grow and it's kind of being yeah. a little impeded by. Yeah. <laughs> by what they're exposed to they're certainly going to get vaccines that is going to hopefully they're all vaccinated mm-hmm. but they're vac- they're going to get vaccines that's going to help build their immune system but we need the, also the portion of the immune system that's built naturally by being exposed mm-hmm. to other viruses and being exposed to other illnesses thank you so very much i i just respect you so much and dean you're great. Bye you're, and thank you. You're very, very <laughs> nice. Uh, we appreciate that very much. Isn't this interesting? Uh, you know, we're at the you know the the end of this. You know, not not complete end of the disease, of course, but the emergency authorization is uh, ending this coming week. Yet people still have so many questions. The phone line and the text line jammed with questions about this. Uh, you know, Kevin, you you'd think it was two, three years ago. 
uh, with, with people with, uh, you know, the, these uh, questions. Here's Bob with one at uh, 312-981-7200. Good morning. You're on WGN. Good morning, Dean. Good morning, Dr. Most. <clears throat> I have a question. My grandson is two and a half. He's had a variety of problems, RSV. He said ear tubes put in, you know, a variety of things. Um, I was discussing with my son about COVID vaccinations, and he says he doesn't want to do it for the boy because he's heard that there are incidences of paralysis showing up after COVID shots. I have not heard that, and I listen intensely all over the world for COVID information, and I've never heard that. Do you know of anything like that? So, Bob, a couple things. One is certainly at the age of two and a half, I wouldn't be concerned that he has RSV. Almost every child before the age of two is going to get RSV. Ear tubes, we know that ear tubes are caused by ear infections, and and people think that tubes are bad when, in fact, they're good. They allow for the ear infections to clear. At this time in his life, he needs to hear appropriately, not hear muffled. He's building not only his education, but also his vocabulary. So that's it. As far as the paralysis, Guillain-Barre is what he's probably talking about, which is something called an ascending paralysis. This is an extremely, extremely rare complication of virus, excuse me, of vaccines, where the immune system kind of goes haywire for a short period of time, causes this paralysis, and then it resolves. So we know that there's a chance of Guillain-Barre even with influenza shots. But The number is one in millions, so certainly not a reason. I'll tell you, there's going to be more cases of Guillain-Barre and other vaccines. There's been no association between the mRNA COVID vaccines and the risk of Guillain-Barre. So what he's probably thinking about is I've heard about vaccines causing Guillain-Barre, and this has not been seen in the mRNA COVID vaccines. So um, what would you you recommend that the father do? Well, you know, you're talking about somebody. Now, the RSV is not concerning, like I said, and I don't know whether he got a Hib vaccine, which often will take care of a lot of the ear infections and a lot of the ear tubes, Haemophilus influenza B, one of the bacteria that cause ear infections. With that vaccine, we saw a number of ear infections drop dramatically. It's a, it's a fairly newer vaccine. But I certainly would say if he's concerned about his uh, grandson or his child or the, the father about the child being immunocompromised at all, certainly get him vaccinated and actually, you know, look at other opportunities to see if there's anything else going on. I'm not saying there is because what he just said is extremely common. RSV, everybody gets it. Ears, you know, tubes because of ear infections, hundreds of thousands of kids get that. And again, that is something positive. People think it's bad. When in fact, I'll tell you, every ENT doctor that does these knows that the child now will hear better and like i said their speech development will be much better than having continued ear infections forget about the fevers the uncomfortableness the screaming child i'm looking more at the developmental prospects of that child yeah long term bob thank you for the call good luck with that uh real quick we're talking about 
<clears throat> stocking up on uh, COVID tests before the authorization expires. Uh, someone asking a very good question. Do these COVID tests expire? Say I go, let's say I go stock up. Uh, is it going to expire yeah. at some point? Yeah, you know, with other tests, strep tests, influenza tests, we know the shelf life of those. And we know the shelf life because we have been doing them for decades. For these tests, we've only had them for a short period of time, less than two years, where we've had it on a commercial use where it can be used by the public. They will put an expiration date on there. I think it's just to cover them. But if it is stored appropriately, those should have a very long shelf life. So I would still say... What is appropriate? Oh, I would say three years. No, but, I mean, uh, but I would also what, what's say the what's negative, the appropriate uh, way, a proper way to store them? Oh, nothing hot, nothing super cold. So if you keep it in your house, put it in you know a, a cabinet. Uh, that's fine. If you leave it in your car in your trunk in and you put it in the freeze freezer, no, I wouldn't do it because the reagent is the important part. Okay. The drops that you put on to see if it's positive yeah. or negative. Okay. So certainly, you know, s- storing them. I can tell you, I have. You know, four tests stored right now that I'm going to continue to use that I think is appropriate. Okay. Let me just ask you before we run out of time here. We have uh, only a couple of minutes, but I wanted to touch on uh, some results that came out last week from Eli Lilly about one of their Alzheimer's drug tests that affects so many people. Uh, what's the latest on that, Kev? Can you, are, are we looking at something hopeful here? Yeah, it really is, Dean, and I'm glad you bring it up because we've been so frustrated with Alzheimer's. But certainly what Eli Lilly came out with last week is something that shows that it slows the progression of this, and it slows it dramatically. And 40% less decline in the ability to perform daily functions, 35% decline in cognitive. So certainly it is going to be really, really positive. And again, this is the first drug. We all know that that first drug is perfected with other drugs as we go forward. So it's really going to be interesting. And also this drug has been shown that the way it works is it decreases that amyloid protein in the brain. Mm -hmm. And that was one of our concerns. Is it the amyloid that causes this or is it something else? Well, certainly this drug looks like it. They're filing for approval in the next two months, and I would expect that we're going to get a lot more data. If this gets approved, I think you'll see a lot of people trying it. And we're going to get a lot better idea. And it's also going to give individual researchers now a foundation for what's the next best drug. Right. But it's very, very positive and very uh, exciting, I would very say. Hopeful. You know, it's given just once a month. but yeah. uh, Very hopeful. Very could hopeful be, indeed. Could be block break, yep. We'll uh, keep everybody posted on that, Kevin. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Northwestern Central DuPage Hospital. Have a great day, my friend. Take care, Dean. We'll talk soon.